Hello and welcome to the Unusual Dialogues. Today I'm hosting an interview with Sherry. Hello, Sherry. Hi. Hi, welcome to the podcast. It's, uh, this is going to be a different cup of, uh, cup of tea, <laughs> cup of podcast. <laughs> uh, we're actually right now drinking yerba mate as well for all those uh, mate enthusiasts out there. So we're getting a bit wired and ready for our jujitsu lesson after, after the class. And uh, let's get to it. So first and foremost, could you just briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> okay, I'm Jerry. Um, actually, my name is Geraldine, but I don't usually use it like that. I feel like if people call me that, they are mad at me. So I don't <laughs> like my whole name. Uh, Jerry, it's okay. And I am... Me? I have no idea what to say here. Uh, I'm Argentinian. I live in Edinburgh. I've been living here for a year and a half. And yeah, that's all I can say for now. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's more than enough. And if anything, I think uh, what I would like to talk about here is definitely Argentina for some of it. Um, but also I wanted to ask about your research and about your area of interest, which is psychology. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think our conversation is gonna meander between talking about human psyche and uh, maybe the differences in, in approaches and cultural differences that uh, I'd like to explore a bit further. Okay. So, first question, where from in Argentina and how is it living out there? Uh, I am from Mendoza. So Mendoza, it's uh, in the middle part of the country and a little bit to the west. So right next um, to the border with Chile. Uh, we have mountains. It's actually a desert, which is quite interesting. Um, and we're known as the city with lots of sun and great wines. So yeah, Malbec is our speciality. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. a nice wine for a brief moment when I was working in a wine industry, let's say, in a shop that sold wines. Malbec was actually one of the red wines that I did enjoy. Yeah, and the ones from Mendoza are very well rated, like internationally. So, yeah, we have a lot of wineries, a lot of tourism. It's quite cool. And, um, okay, you're here in cold Scotland now. <laughs> yeah. So my question would be first... Uh, why and how did you end up in Scotland? <laughs> oh, okay, that's a long story, but um, so my whole family is actually from Buenos Aires and I'm the only one that was born in Mendoza and Buenos Aires is a really big city with lots of things happening and Mendoza it's a smaller one, quite quiet and you know people have a nap every day, like the siesta is a thing and things would be closed <laughs> from one till five in the afternoon. Um, so I never felt like that was my place. And I don't know if this is because my family was from another sort of city or, or if just something that lives within me, but I never felt like I was actually from there. I don't look Argentinian, I think. <laughs> Okay. A little I'm bit. Not but an now, expert. Yeah, you know, people tend to not know where I'm from. Um, I don't have a Latin name either. Like it's not very common, uh, or a surname 
Um, so I never really felt like I was from there 100%. And I always knew that I wanted to travel and, you know, get to know different cultures and live somewhere else and try to, like, dive into a different world um, whenever I had the chance. So I moved to Buenos Aires at some point and my plan was to come to Europe. And I started off in Berlin. Um, and Germany is a very particular place and especially for somebody that comes from a different culture, it was a big shock and I wanted to maybe try somewhere else. And I ended up here. <laughs> so um, I was looking for a place that would be um, warmer and the language would be easier for me and you know, culturally more similar maybe to what I was used to. And I was thinking, okay, maybe Spain or Italy would be a good choice. But then I was here in Edinburgh for one day and I completely fell in love with the city. I was like, okay, this is the place that I feel I want to stay. And I, I literally cried every time I had to leave um, when I was visiting Edinburgh. So yeah, okay. I decided to come here. That's that's. Uh, I've been to Berlin uh, a few times recently to visit my friend, and uh, I quite liked it there. My question is though to follow up with what you said. What was the biggest cultural shock? What was that thing that you you know had in mind when you said that that was a big shock? Yeah. So you know there are all of these things in your home town or city that you're used to, but you don't really know you're used to it um, until you're not there anymore and for me it was quite obvious when I was in Germany that the way people express themselves and the way people interact like in normal everyday situations is very different and for me it, it feels a little bit cold and rude sometimes like in Argentina you normally just talk to people and look at each other like oh, to your eyes and just smile if you lock eyes with somebody and make small talk in every single situation that you can and there's a lot of connection and, and expressing you know if you see somebody on the street you'll know if they're angry or sad or happy or scared it's just it's all over the place it's so obvious um, and in Germany that didn't happen so people wouldn't look at me in the eye I would smile to people and they won't smile back I would say good morning and they would not answer and look annoyed I will talk to somebody's dog <laughs> that's a very normal thing in Argentina if you see a dog you just talk to them and try to pat them and people will be like instantly annoyed by it and all of these things make me feel very disconnected like I could have friends and you know maybe connect with people in a very intimate sort of scenarios but not on the street not in every day going to the supermarket kind of situation that's interesting um i mean i i definitely can recognize in some of my uh, latino friends the expressiveness that uh, maybe maybe some some of our cultures in uh, europe are lacking but don't you think then that in uk it is quite similar because when I arrived to UK for the first time and I had at the back of my mind this stiff upper lip <laughs> phrase, which is basically the description of whatever the weather, whatever the circumstance, do not show your emotion fully. 
Um, so for me, actually here, it, it felt like people are more reserved to express themselves than in Poland. Well, I've never been to Poland, so I cannot really express my opinion there. But um, I feel like people here a little bit more transparent and maybe more laid back. They don't love rules so much. Oh, I mean, yeah. they do have rules, but they don't abide by them all the time, like rigidly, you know, and I kind of feel a lot more comfortable with that. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and yeah, people tend to say, I've never been better or cannot complain when you ask how they are and that's like a normal thing here but if you are able to maintain some sort of conversation it will come up and people do tend to open up a little bit more um, and they would smile at you or maybe make like a small comment or a joke in the street without really knowing you and I find that very different from what I was seeing in, in Berlin. That's interesting. I remember from my German lessons at school, my teacher used to say Ordnung must sein, which is a German <laughs> phrase to there has to be order. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with all the love to all German friends out there, um, that's, that's one of the uh, jokes that would go around our school when and it I came to learning German. That it's the opposite. Like in Argentina, there are no rules. <laughs> if you follow the rules, you're you're stupid. That's the way people normally see it. I see. <laughs> just just complete chaos, but there is a method in that madness. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so you came to Scotland and now you're doing research in clinical psychology or behavioral psychology? Uh, mental health in general. Mental yeah. health in general. Okay, and I remember we talked earlier about your placement at the local psychiatry ward. What could you tell me about that? How, how is working in that environment, um, you know, maybe unique? I, I have not experienced it myself, so it's going to be completely unique. <laughs> but what, what are you experiencing there and how is that going? Well, I haven't been on this post for too long and with the whole pandemic thing it was a little bit weird at the beginning so we didn't have a lot of patients in or, or stuff but um so it's quite interesting i work on clinical research and i don't know if any if everybody's aware of that what that means um so it's basically you do research on people and sometimes it's related to a study drug, so a new medication for something, and sometimes it's just maybe therapy or some sort of new method of doing something. Um, so what we do is we have volunteers, and this is a very important issue. I mean, people need to be happy and wanting to participate. It's not like you would force anybody to, to do this. Um, and maybe they will take a study drug for a certain amount of time and you follow up on how that may affect them or not if anything changes or it doesn't okay i i think that that's i don't know i perceive that to be quite a difficult task because there's so many aspects of you could measure against yeah of course it's very structured you have a protocol you have different assessments that you're gonna do and you have like all of these timelines that you have to follow and it's very prepared it's not like flexible you have to do it a certain way so even if the I, I understand that some of your patients might have schizophrenia 
or you know any any sort of mental health issues on a on a larger scale and are they aware fully consciously of the whole process from the beginning till the end yeah that's the idea and if they're not able to then you can have um somebody to speak for them so they have a study partner it might be a family member or um yeah somebody close to them that they can trust and yeah but you need to make sure that they're also willing to participate otherwise it doesn't really make sense right you don't want to force people into anything and what kind of um, on a let's say that you go to to the hospital for your placement what kind of uh, activities do you facilitate or participate in well there's a <laughs> range of them um, it takes it tends to go a lot more into the admin stuff that, that I would like to but it's something that you have to do especially because of these protocols you need to make sure that you're doing everything at the right time and place and that you are doing the assessments that you have to and following all the, the rules again <laughs> the rules are coming back um, so my my mission is normally to make sure that everything happens at the right time and the right things are going on and not to deviate from what we have to do so that the results are consistent afterwards because if you mess it up then the results are not valuable anymore of course and do you um do you facilitate any sort of you know closed or private uh, um i don't know a workshops or meetings in which you're the one leading the group are you creating quite close connections with those people um normally not in a group um if you have a participant a patient you would just talk to them or the study partner but it's, it's normally just one-to-one -one thing not a very big group no and do you find that over time of course this is quite a recent placement but do you find that uh, you're um, getting let's say um, close to that patient getting to know them better and would you say that's something that can affect the mm, the research let's say well i haven't been doing this long enough to answer that i think um but given i'm more of a coordinator so i make sure that things are taking place um i'm not usually the one talking too much to the patient so i leave that to other people i tell them what they need to do and when okay okay yeah because I, I i just find it very interesting <laughs> how um you know it's at the moment i'm teaching kids english and i have a few uh, students that at this point uh, have become you know pupils of mine like we have classes every week for two months so we know each other quite well or at least i know them quite well because they're mostly the focus of the the, the class let's say and uh, it's interesting how for instance i recently decided to take down the classes from seven days a week to five days a week, a week. Mm -hmm. so i need to let some students go and i am i can feel the inner turmoil of letting down those ones who were on those days that i want to give up let's mm -hmm. say but at the same time it's just a job like they are people of course and we have a relationship of course but the the job takes priority there would be another person like me facilitating that so i just find it quite interesting how 
especially in such a circumstance of you know dealing with a patient that is basically getting help from you over a prolonged period of time how those connections might turn up to be you know and how does that affect the patient and yourself and can you really disassociate yourself from the patient I think well you enough. shouldn't. I mean, I, I wish I could answer that question, but I haven't been there long enough to know what I'm going to be feeling or, or what's going to happen once the study's over. Um, but I, I like the way you put it, like, okay, there are people, but, you know, the, the work or the, or the job takes precedence, right? And I think it's the other way around. <laughs> For me, it would be the other way around. I mean, yeah, of course work is important and that's the context that you're doing this activity um, on but then the, what really matters is people and relationships and that's what you're going to take with you it's not a job I mean that's what we tell ourselves and we all decided we're going to believe this is important but and it is at a certain level but also relationships are very important and maybe just that being a teacher and having this kids are looking up to you and following you it's not the same with somebody else it might be better it might be worse it might be different but it's definitely not going to be the same you're not replaceable you're a person yeah i like that fair enough yeah definitely if if anything it's uh, it's something that i just have to accept that some of them i'll have to let go um but it's interesting how uh yeah like thinking of my own mental health not to overstrain myself with working every day i then get a, a bit of suffering from letting go <laughs> of those that uh, i've already created connection with there's also some value into that i guess like knowing that you created some sort of connection and it's valuable in itself it doesn't have to keep going forever to make sense that's that's really beautiful. If anything, then, jumping off that, because this is something that we've touched upon when we were talking before the podcast, and I'm sorry, guys, that I did not record it then, but <laughs> I'll try to re rewind a little bit and uh, jump into it a bit more, especially that Cherry um, has a bit of background in psychology, so I hope uh, she would be the wisdom here. Um, oh, wow. I would like to... <laughs> I would like to talk about um, the way uh, we, we discussed the idea of rituals and habits, creating them, getting rid of them and uh, connecting through them. Because you pointed out quite interestingly that um, when smoking cigarettes or let's say when drinking a coffee, um, a person might not be as addicted to the substance itself as they are to the ritual or the circumstance that follow. For example, if I roll a cigarette in my friend rolls a cigarette, then we have a conversation with a cigarette, which adds the value to the cigarette, which then <laughs> makes me think like I want that cigarette again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to start with something else though. Um, I, I kind of hate when people assume that because I studied psychology, I know things. I don't know anything. That's a <laughs> All day, that yeah. I'm talking about comes out of experience and not from you know, being a psychologist. I never really related to that. Like, okay, I, I'm a psychologist. I don't like the expectations that come with that. Um, so it's just my opinion on things, random. 
things. Um, but yeah, we were talking about this earlier. So I think that there's a lot of value into rituals and it's quite good to identify what those are because there's, I mean, it's so beautiful to share a moment with somebody and you might be just smoking because you like the going outside and taking a break and having this moment for yourself or, or with others and the conversation that comes with it. Um, that's always easier to talk with somebody when you're doing something. It's easier um, to talk when you're walking or you're um, sharing smoke or you're you know doing something in particular. It makes it like, I don't know, you're not so... Um, Maybe it takes a bit of the edge. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's less intense. Yeah. Like uh, being being one-to-one -one just talking <laughs> might be quite overwhelming if you're talking about something serious. But at the same time, if there is a cake in between us and we're sharing a cake, we might feel a bit more at ease with, yeah. the, with the situation. I think that's why we tend to eat while we're doing something. Or you tell somebody like, okay, let's go for a beer, or let's go for a coffee. It's like we have to do something. <laughs> and I think, um, touching another topic here, but I think this is probably more common within men as well. So women, we might say to a friend, to a female friend, hey, let's just hang out and talk. I need to talk. Or let's just be around each other. But men, <laughs> they tend to have, <coughs> sorry, like this need of doing something. Like, okay, let's go to do this or let's play this video game and then you have the conversation flowing but it has to be related to a certain task that you're doing together. <laughs> That's interesting. I've uh, read recently or heard recently that uh, there is a, a bit of um, something that drives men uh, that might not be as, as much of a driver for women is this idea of being useful and purposeful. purposeful which is actually a big trap if you think about it because uh, you know as you said earlier <laughs> we might basically constantly try to find ourselves doing something so we can f make a reason for our existence and this search for meaning which Viktor Frankl really beautifully puts in his book uh, Man's Search for Meaning um, it can actually be a limbo that you just keep jumping in and out of. Like if I'm constantly and I can find myself like that every day, really, if I have a moment without doing something, I'll either think about what else has to be done or I'm already on something straight away <laughs> just to feel the void, to fill the void, which might be growing inside instead of taking a break and breathing. Yeah, but I think so I, I'm, I'm like that as well. I tend to do many things all at once and you know, never stop. Um, but I guess the difference is when you know you're doing something that makes sense for you. So it's okay to keep looking for meaning. We, we're all doing that all the time and it's, it's a good thing. It makes you feel alive and you know, there's some sort of meaning. <laughs> to the um, smartness. Yeah. But then I think the difference in how well you feel at the end of the day, it has to do with a north. So do you know what you're doing this for? So are you working 10 hours a day in something that you enjoy? Yes or no? And then if the answer is no, why are you doing it? Is it because you need the money for something that gives you meaning? Then good, then you're gonna feel okay. And you're 
able to endure so many challenges and so many this so much discomfort when you know you're doing it for a reason that makes sense to you and that doesn't need to be like universal it doesn't have to be like a huge thing but something that has meaning to you and that's important to you so if you want to i don't know become a better person there's a million things that you can do that will take you there um and as long as you're doing things that things that are going into that direction, then you feel okay at the end of the day. And even if you're tired or you know, you had a crappy day, you can still feel okay. That's, that, yeah, definitely. I think this, this uh, relates well to, or maybe this is underlined well by, I don't remember the author, but there is a quote, he, who's, uh, he who has a why can bear almost any how. And this idea that, uh, at the end of the day, if, if you have enough why <laughs> to sustain <laughs> you, you will go through that crappy day, as you said. That's beautiful. So um, I would like to talk a little bit uh, back to the, uh, to the habits, let's say, um, about you've said something really cool earlier about how we might not realize what is the meaning behind the action and you gave the uh, the example of smoking cigarette might not actually be the cigarette itself it might be the connection with the other so do you find or have you found for yourself a good way of uh, measuring or finding out what it is that actually makes you feel like doing something <laughs> um well for me it always works to ask questions ask myself why am i doing this what's the value because that's again that's everything value like if you're doing this and you're doing this repeatedly there's obviously something that you're getting out of it and you need to be honest with yourself like okay what is it that i like about this and can i get this some other way that it's better for my health for example if i don't like smoking and i want to quit um, there's obviously something there and, and I don't want to disregard the biological part of it because there is definitely an addiction sometimes but when you're trying to quit and you're able to but you're not able to stop smoking when you have somebody in the room that is going to smoke then maybe there's a good question there like what am I getting out of this and that you can apply to pretty much everything that you do and Maybe if you're not okay with the way you're doing it, you can find another way and it's still good. That's interesting. So may I ask then, what makes you join Jiu-Jitsu? <laughs> um, so it started more as a self-defense thing. So coming from Latin America and being a woman, you kind of feel vulnerable pretty often, more than one would like. Um, and feeling like I can probably defend myself makes me feel empowered and, and good. Um, and I've always wanted to do something like this. Like, okay, I, I probably never need it, but if I do, I want to know what to do. I don't want to feel helpless. Um, so that was one reason. And I, I guess that was the reason why I started. The reason why I stayed is because I feel there's a lot of challenge there. So it's not something that you just go and do and it's easy and then you got it and you're done. <laughs> I tend to get bored 
very easily. So I, I get excited very easily and bored very easily. So I, I've done a million things. Like I'm always in those, like whatever you propose and you say, okay, let's try you know, swing dancing. Yes, I'll do it. But the thing is, I never stay for long. Um, because once I know that I can kind of do it, then the interest is gone. But with jujitsu, there's, it's so complex and you have so many levels and so many things that you can learn that it's quite engaging somehow. And also the, the physical feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm able to do this this week and I wasn't able to do it last week. It's also very empowering and addictive in a way. Like I want this to keep going <laughs> and see how far I can go. And um, also, I guess it has to do with the place as well. So when you're with a group of people and you feel like you connect and that you share some sort of ways, it's not competitive. It's about being better and you know trying for everybody to feel comfortable and um, just this feeling that we're all part of the same thing and not competing with each other, that was also quite good for me. That's very, yeah, that's very true. This is something that I've uh, discussed with uh, Sai, our coach, the other day, um, of creating this, this safe space for people to push their boundaries. And I definitely agree, jujitsu is a black hole of, of learning. I, <laughs> it feels like it's an endless endless game you know Sai himself after 15 years of doing it says he's not even um, like halfway through the road so oh, no. <laughs> fair, fair play I think this is for life you know you sign up and you and you sign out when and you kick the bucket and um, speaking of which we funnily enough need to start get going because we have a session to catch so before we go I wanted to quickly jump back to something that we've talked about um, you know you said um, with uh, men trying to find a, let's say a purpose uh, more than women or trying to find an activity more than women and I would take it a bit further and say, state uh, that uh, men are more restrained from feeling vulnerable than women because of the societal norm we are brought up in which should probably change over time hopefully and because of it um, you said something very interesting earlier that men tend to act um, or react in anger for any other emotion that might be on the spectrum of crying you know being upset to disappointment and yeah let's just follow that for two minutes Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, I, I don't want to generalize too much because I know there's always differences and this applies to some people, it might not apply to other people. Um, but I think there's a big issue with not letting men be aware of how they feel um, and maybe avoiding or, or repressing whatever emotions come up. And the only thing that's allowed socially to, to be expressed or, well, many times this happens, is being angry. So we're used to a man being angry. And this is a very common discussion uh, nowadays. So if, if a woman is screaming and yelling at somebody, she's crazy, but if a man is doing that, he's just, you know, defending something that's important. So 
we we allow this and I guess it's the only way to express other things. So if you're not allowed to cry, you're not allowed to be scared, you're not allowed to feel vulnerable, you're not allowed to be frustrated or um, worried about certain things, then you're going to use the only thing that social, it's socially acceptable to do, which is showing anger. And then the only thing that you know is being angry. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and definitely something that, uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of, in a way, it's uh, portrayed as if showing of power, uh, you know. And um, crying is a sign of weakness, but if you're angry, you're not necessarily weak. Which is funny, because in my opinion, if you let your anger control you, you're weak. A lot. <laughs> yeah, and there's also another side of it, which I think it's, it's quite um, difficult to tackle. But um, So reacting with anger um, pushes people away. So if you're feeling sad and lonely and scared, the last thing you want is to feel isolated. So it's not a very good strategy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a self, self-propelling self uh, distraction mode. Wow. Okay, guys, so this is probably going to be the end for now. I um, The last thing that I will invite you to do, which is usually the case with my interviews, is would you like to leave me and my audience with either, you know, a sort of encouragement or an advice or a thought from yourself, from your experiences, your life, something wonderful or something to look out for that um, you would like to share with us. Okay. Oh, so many things. Um, <laughs> just going to choose one. Um, I'm going to go back to values and being honest with yourself and being able to explore what gives you meaning and what's important to you. Um, and try to find things that are not, um, you're not able to achieve a hundred percent. And this, I know it sounds strange, but what I mean is that if I have, um, I don't know, the task of being rich or having billions of dollars, then if I get to that point where I have billions of dollars, that's it. Am I going to be happy? Probably not. <laughs> um, so it's good to find things that you cannot really reach. It's just more general. Like I want to be healthy or I want to um, help other people or I, I want to be able to, I don't know, um, have a legacy somehow. And, and think about that. What do you want to leave in this world if you ever, if you're not here anymore? And what gives you meaning? And then that really makes it easier to do things and be okay with not being immediately satisfied and happy. Because I think, I'm sorry this is long, but it, I think this is also important. I kind of hate the idea that you need to be happy all the time. Because that's not possible. You have different emotions and they're all functional and they're all important. And you should be able to explore them and have them and you don't need to be feeling joy all the time you just need to be going into the direction that makes sense for you and that can also change over time beautiful thank you very much for that thank you for coming to the studio <laughs> thank you for having me
And uh, yeah, guys, I hope you've enjoyed our little conversation. Look out for more as uh, this season is packed with uh, interesting stuff. And other than that, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll see you next time.